thank you all for coming up. It is so good to see you all in church today. <clears throat> Let me get my things out yeah, of the way. please do. And Austin, we invite you to bring God's word to yeah. us. So I get the opportunity to preach this morning. So that's why I wear my Sunday's best. So, <laughs> so uh, let us uh, read the scripture this morning. It comes from Ephesians uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 15 and 23. It's on our, uh, it should be on our screen. But let me, let me read it to you now. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just invite you now. Uh, work in our hearts, Lord God. Open our eyes. Open our hearts, Lord God, to see you. Enlighten us, Lord God, uh, to, to gain further knowledge from your word, to strengthen us in this day ahead and the weeks to come. May we bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, We've been studying, we started uh, Ephesians a couple weeks ago, and Don uh, was able to talk about this great doxology, this great praise for this first uh, 14 verses. Uh, Paul introduces the, introduces the letter the normal way they would do at the time, saying who he is, and, who he is and then he, but he went immediately into this great doxology and praise of God. And Don, Don pointed off in how long of a praise it was, that long, long sentence. But Ephesians is such a beautiful, beautiful book. It's, a lot of uh, theologians look at it, you, you know how so many love Romans, the rich theology of Romans, and how that's always usually pointed out when you, if you study theology, you're going to go right to Romans. That's like your, your tried and true book. But Ephesians is, is like a compact Romans. Not only does it have this beautiful theology about it, it also brings out spiritual practices for the church and gives purpose for the church as well, too. Paul just did a beautiful job in this letter. And this, uh, the verses that we read this morning were actually kind of, have actually led to a little bit of controversy in the church, too. Because when he says this, uh, I have heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and for your love of all God's people. Well, there's this question. Didn't Paul stay with this church for a number of years? Wasn't it about three years we see in the book of Acts that he stayed with them? So why is he writing to them about, oh, I've heard about your faith. Wouldn't he know about their faith? Wouldn't he be the one who, who shared and helped disciple many of these people? Well, this is, a, this is a, actually a controversy. So many people interpret this scripture like, well, what does Paul mean? Well, there's a couple different interpretations to this. One is that 
Well, maybe Paul has been away from the church for so long, and the church has grown up in such a way that a lot of the people don't know Paul anymore. So he maybe helped plant seeds and do a lot of work there, but over time, the church kind of grew in such a way that there's so many more in the church that, um, the, that he doesn't know them as well. So he's hearing about their faith. This church that he helped plant is now grown in such a great way. Or another, another interpretation is that this is kind of like a circular letter. Uh, a church doesn't, especially in the New Testament times, a church didn't just plant itself and just stayed there. It grew rapidly. When, when the gospel of Jesus Christ touches people's hearts and minds, it can't be contained. And it, it stretches out through families and relationships. And these relationships aren't just going to be in one city. They're going to go into other villages and other towns. And the gospel is going to be shared among all these peoples. So this is kind of a, lot of a lot of interpretation is Paul is not writing this just to the church in Ephesus, the, the church itself in the city, but it's spread out through this whole entire region. And now he wants them, all of these new believers, to know the gospel as well too. And so that's why he does this great doxology too. He makes sure and he's saying this is what we believe in Jesus Christ. Who Jesus Christ is. Who our Father is. Who the Holy Spirit is. But then after this great doxology we, we, we've read, he does this prayer. And why does Paul pray? He, now, he doesn't pray for them. He actually instead kind of gives a window into his prayer life. He, he's, he's showing the people who he is and how he prays. And, and why is he doing this? Well, again, there's a few, few reasons why. But I, I think one of the great reasons is that Paul is a Jewish man. He's a Jew among Jews. Uh, the, in, in Philippians, he talks about him being uh, a Pharisee, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, a, a, true, a Jew of all Jews. He was a Jewish man. And he's writing a letter to a people who are not very Jewish at all. Many of the new believers in the church at this time were of the Gentile background. They were not the, what the Jews would consider themselves the holy people of God. They were outsiders. They were the ones who wouldn't really partake in this special blessing of the Lord. And so when Paul is praying, he's praying to a people who are in, in many ways different from him. Now, now, Paul, yes, he, he had many relations with Gentiles. He was called to the Gentile people, but he's still a Jew. He can't change his identity. He can't change who he is. And he's very proud of his identity as well also. But he needs to make this bridge between these people, between the Gentiles and the Jews. Paul serves as somewhat of a bridge. He's one who's called to them, but he knows that he can't do that alone. And so what does Paul do? He shows them his prayer life. He shows them his love for them. And he shows them that I love you. I'm praying for you. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. He, he's always praying for this church and these new believers because he loves them and he cares for them. But he also knows that in his prayer life, I can't make this bridge alone. It's by Jesus Christ. It's by the power of God. That true healing can happen. That this gospel message can be proclaimed. It's not by my own efforts. It's by God. And so this is why he gives this revelation, this opportunity to pray uh, for the people. Now, in my own ministry, I kind of got to show a little missionary thing. Believe it or not, when I live in Asia, I kind of stick out. Would you believe that? <laughs> 
Imagine that, you know? I, I mean, I can get a little shorter, you know, if I bend my knees a little bit. But in general, I stick out. I am different. Okay? In between the... Uh, and so when I'm, I'm sharing the gospel message uh, with brothers and sisters, many just like this, uh, the Ephesians, these Gentiles who didn't do, have no understanding of God. Many of the Buddhist faith and animist uh, religions, and they're, they're all different kinds. When you're sharing with them, they have no concept of Jesus Christ. There's no concept of even God. So how do you make that bridge? Well, for me, I have to pray. I'm always constantly in prayer. Whenever I'm sharing the gospel message with someone, often I'm, I'm teaming up with someone else because it might be in another language that I'm not... Uh, an example. So many of you know Rockchad. When Rockchad and I are a team ministry working and sharing the gospel with other people in other villages, we work together, we sit down, we're sitting on a bamboo hut. I'm speaking in Thai, okay? But those people that we're um, with probably don't speak Thai. They probably speak Karen. So Rockchad is then interpreting what I'm saying in Karen, and then he's uh, talking to them in Karen. Or they might need Burmese, and, or, and sometimes I'll be talking with my wife, and I'll be using, I get to use English with my wife, which is great, but, uh, but then we can talk, talk and share the gospel in English, and that gets translated. There are so many different languages that were around. Oftentimes, I don't get to share the, the language in, in Thai or in another language that I know, because there's just so many different ones. So when, I'm, when am I taking time to pray? Well, after I share something in Thai or in another language, and that's getting translated, I immediately start praying. I'm praying because it's not me who's going to be able to open up that person's heart. It's not me who's going to be able to share the gospel message alone. It's God. Only God can do that. Only Jesus Christ, by his power and grace, can open up that person's heart. So when Paul does that too here, I, I think that's what he's doing. He's showing that, hey, this is not just me that can do this. this is, in this letter, this is going to be going deep into some, a lot of things. Paul needs them to have the presence of God in their life and the spirit of God in life. And so he needs to show them that he's praying for this, that he wants them to have this. Now, I also get the opportunity uh, sometimes uh, when I'm sharing the gospel message to do it with a monk, with someone who is far from God. Now, I don't think this was where the Ephesus church is, but there's an opportunity in our prayers and our opportunities to make those bridges. Again, it's by Jesus Christ alone he does this. I have so many stories I could share with you, but it's 9.30, and I, I can't share them all with you. Now, when, when Paul talks about uh, the first thing, there's really three parts in his prayer. I really want to get deep into this. The first is, when Paul prays, he gives thanks. He knows the Ephesians in the way that he's heard of their faith, and he's thankful for them. He's, he's making this thankfulness, though. It's as if this thankfulness goes two ways. He's thankful for the Ephesian church, for who they are in their faith, but he's thankful for God, too, for who he is, too. So in this thankfulness that we see in this first part of verse 16, it's, it's as if he's saying, I'm thankful to God. I proclaimed him, I, I know who he is, and you know who he is, but I'm thankful for you because you know who he is too. It's as if there's an agreement here. We are thankful together. Second thing is that how Paul prays for the Father to give the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now, for all throughout this summer, we've talked a lot about wisdom 
The spirit of wisdom that we see so well in Ecclesiastes. Sometimes there seems to be a worldly wisdom, but we also see a true godly wisdom in Scripture. And, and this wisdom we often think about is something that we use in our own efforts, our own minds. Wisdom we think is something that we can do ourselves in many ways. But the wisdom in the Scripture is a wisdom that's a gift from the Lord. And I think that's why Paul makes sure that he put partners wisdom and revelation together. Because wisdom does come from God's word and from studying and thinking and meditating on God. But it's also by God's spirit too. God reveals himself to brothers and sisters. He comes to them. He shows them who he is. And so that's what Paul is praying in the second part. He's saying, I pray that you have the spirit and wisdom, the spirit of revelation, so that you may know him better. That you may know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, better. Again, wisdom is, not some, is something we do with our minds, but the revelation comes from Christ alone. It's not by our efforts. It's by God, too. Now, and then we get into kind of our third part of the prayer. So we've, we've covered this thanksgiving, this understanding that Paul is, is thankful for God and this doxology he's talked about. He's talked about this thanksgiving that he has with, uh, with the Ephesian church too. He talks about wisdom and revelation. So he wants the church to know Jesus Christ better. But then he goes into this third part of his prayer. Now, I love this because it, it touches on so many words that I'm going to teach you all today. And the scripture says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glory and inheritance in his people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, I've said this word before many years ago, and it's a, a Thai word, and it was called bao jai. Do you all remember that word? Yeah? No, I don't think so. <laughs> bao jai. It's... It's, it's a, uh, whenever Thai people talk about the heart, um, the heart means a whole lot more for Thai people than it does in the West. Every emotion revolves around the heart. Every feeling, even thinking, everything about a person in Thai culture revolves around the heart. There are so many words using heart in Thai culture. Grengjai. Grengjai is meanings like and uncomfortability. I feel uncomfortable now preaching to you all, so I feel a little grangjai. Or nakjai, uh, someone who has a hard heart, someone who's very stubborn, you know, a hard heart. They can't really get entrance into it. Namjai, a pastor is often considered one with a namjai, one whose heart is flowing with love and grace and mercy. But baljai is a lightness of heart. And I love the lightness of heart illustration because often so many times when, again, when Rakjad and I are talking about Jesus Christ with another person and they do get that opportunity to turn their life to the Lord and they receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, so many times the, they describe it saying, I feel baldai. I feel a lightness. I feel freedom. I feel mercy and grace. There's this openness. It's as if, as if um, they can walk on air almost when they come into revelation of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So I just love this word, baljai, and, and, and this idea of heart, but it's, it's an enlightening too. Baljai is when you've come into the presence of the Lord, you feel this peace. Your eyes are opened. You understand. 
And I think that's what also is going on here too. Paul wants them to open their eyes, to have this freedom in Christ that can come from Christ alone. And so he, he goes into three parts in this prayer. As he desires for their hearts to be open, to feel this feeling of peace and love, to know and see. But he also says this, he says, I pray that your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Know the hope to which he has called you. So there's two things happening here. Hope. Hope versus something like, we can't, there's so many people like, I, I think of my brother. Whenever I, I talk to my brother sometimes like, hey, do you think you can fix it? I hope so. You know, there's almost like a, a doubt in his mind. I don't know. Maybe. I hope so. Um, but also, that's not really the hope that we're talking about here. This is a hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a trust and assurance in the hope of Jesus. It's not just a, a hope, hope of doubt. It's a hope of knowing that it will come true. And so this is what Paul is pointing to here. The hope that he desires for this church to have, the prayer that he's giving is a hope that they are called to. And they are called to the lordship of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now the second thing, that we see in this part, is that he says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And here I'm going to take a risk. Because I, I, I've been away from America for a while. So I don't know exactly what's going on. But I, I've been thinking about what would be a richness that Americans can all connect with. What is something, I mean, I know we're all here as believers, but even further than that, what is something that's in our hearts that we know, okay, this is something I really hold on to? And I think for Americans, one of the great riches we have is freedom, right? That's something that we all, doesn't matter where you are in the political spectrum, freedom is something that you hold very dear in America, correct? We all, it's something very prideful for us. And oftentimes we look at the world around us and we're like, well, they don't have freedom, you know, like us. It's, a, it's, a, it's almost as a blessing to us. It's something that we, it's, and it's also something we've inherited too. Have we earned our freedom as Americans? No, it's, it's been passed down to us over generations by the sacrifices of so many others. From our forefathers fighting the British until today. The, the freedom that we have is something that is so rich and something we so treasure in our hearts. Correct? Right? We all love it. But of all things, freedom can also be twisted. It can be turned. Especially the freedom that we Americans connect with. This is not a freedom that is going to last forever. Right? Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. But the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ goes on for eternity. So for you to connect with freedom in America, and we're all Americans here, including me. Sometimes I feel like I don't know what country I'm a part of. But we're all blessed by this great freedom. And I don't want to downcast it or look down upon it. But I want you to look beyond it and see that the freedom that you truly have is not just in your American freedom, but in the freedom you have in Jesus Christ. It's something we've inherited. So connect with that idea, that richness of freedom that you can have with Jesus Christ. That's just one little thing that Jesus offers to us. This freedom that we have. Not only uh, a freedom, it's not a freedom to, to turn away from him. It's a freedom to abide in him. and To be blessed by him. 
And so I want, I want you to think of that inheritance that you have from the Lord Jesus Christ too. There are so many others too, but think of the freedom we have. And the third and final part is, a power, is the power of prayer. Now, Paul does something really interesting here. And, and when you read the commentaries, there's a real disagreement too about what's going on because Paul is talking about his prayer life to the Ephesian church. And all of a sudden, it just changes dramatically. We see him, we see what Paul discusses about, he says, I pray, I, I, the, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of inglorious inheritance of holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then all of a sudden, he just goes on this tangent. That power is the same as the mighty strength. He exerted when he raised from Christ, from the dead and seated. It's as if Paul was saying, hey, here's my prayer life. I'm talking, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. And then all of a sudden he's like, I've got to talk to you more about this power of Jesus Christ. He can't just hold back. He can't just say, okay, I'm I'm just praying for you. He needs to, to explain to them, to share with them about this great richness, this great blessing of the power of the Lord. And I'm not going to go into too much uh, today about that power because i got to leave something on the bone for Don to preach on next week. But I want you all to really think about that. These three things that, uh, that Paul has prayed for, uh, for the, the Ephesian church. And, I, and I'm going to give you some homework too this week also. So I, I, again, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Enlightened that balgi, that, that peace, that knowing of Jesus Christ. Also, I, he prays for the hope to which he has called you. This hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just a hope that is, is sugary or, or something we, we, we kind of believe in. It's a hope of assurance. It is to be true. It is happening now and it is the kingdom of God will come. And then finally, this also this understanding of the riches of his glorious inheritance. All of the things we are blessed with as the people of God, as his holy people, we are so greatly blessed. We have inherited it. It's a gift. It's not something we have earned. It has been given to us. America, I, again, I use that illustration of freedom, but truly the freedom is not in that, but it is our freedom in Jesus Christ. So what's your homework? Well, Paul has given us a great, uh, a great idea about a practice for us to do, right? We should be a people of prayer. He's giving this model to the, to the Ephesian church. So how are we as a people of prayer doing too? Now, in Greenwich, we were just doing a, a couple weeks ago, we had our leadership meeting, and we had this assessment about how churches are doing uh, during COVID right now. And as the elders and the deacons gathered together, we had this kind of article that we talked about. And one of those points was, is your church praying? Are you a praying church? Are you, how is your prayer ministry going? Because a church that is praying is a healthy church too. And, and so as Paul was praying for the Ephesian church, we too need to be praying for one another as well also for the Greenwich community. So if you look at the back of your bulletin, there's a number of people that we need to be in prayer for, isn't there? Every week, this is something that, is, that kind of sets Greenwich apart, I think, is that we are a church that believes in prayer. 
we care for it because we believe that it's not by our own efforts. It's by God's blessing, God's work that he can help those around in our community too. So I'm going to give you a little assignment, like I've said. Choose out someone in this list here. Choose a name in here for this week for you to lift up to the Lord. Um, And maybe even this week too. Reach out to that person as well. Take an opportunity, as as Paul was showing his heart and his desire in praying to the Ephesian church, I'm going to ask you all to do that too. Pray for the, the members of our church. Take a moment to think of one or two people. And then reach out to that person and say, you know what? I've been praying for you this week about this situation, or I've been praying for you about this. Show your heart to them to show that you're in love with them too, that you love them, that you care for them, but more importantly, that God cares for them also. When, um, when I'm in the mission field, um, and, and some of this might be very awkward for you. I know, you know some of you are like, I don't want to reach out and pray for someone else that I don't know. I often get to do that. When okay, I... I hinted at this monk illustration, but oftentimes I get to pray with Buddhist monks. They are as far from God as you can possibly be. But when, we, when I get an opportunity to sit down with them and pray with them, there's healing there that happens too. Even God is working from that person that is far from them, and God is working in their heart also. And so take an opportunity to, to, to pray for one another and reach out to those you might not even know Show them your heart, too, and your heart for God. Amen? Now, this morning we are going to uh, gather around the Lord's table. And this is an opportunity. I'm thinking so much about my own uh, church back home in Myanmar, Burma, and the churches that we've been serving for so many years in Thailand, too. And so... As we sing this morning, recognize that you're not, we're not just Greenwich gathering around the table. The world, all around the world, is gathering around the table to share in the sacraments of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So let us stand together and sing our first hymn together, our second hymn together. It's found in your hymnal, page 695, and also on the screen, as we gather at your table. <laughs>